The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells and with me today are Maureen O'Connor, New York sex columnist. Hey Maureen. Hey David. And Allison Davis of The Cut. Hi David. Hey. Today we're going to be talking about the new movie Chocolate City starring Robert, I think you pronounce his name, Ricard, Tyson Beckford and Vivica A. Fox, among others, which is sort of a black reboot or relaunch of Magic Mike. Maureen has literally just come from the movie theater. We're also going to be talking about balls. Ostensibly straight men grabbing or tapping each other's junk is a running storyline on Veep this season. For me, it's kind of a squirmy one. And um, (laughs) also One Direction's Harry Styles just did it to, I guess, a guy who's also in his band named Niall Horan at the Billboard Music Awards. How normal is that? And finally, we're going to be talking about sellyourpanties.com which Maureen will explain is actually a quite romantic exchange. All right, on to our first topic, uh, Chocolate City. We're actually recording this on the day the masterpiece is being released, uh, May 22nd, but we've been talking about the movie for a couple weeks now. Allison, did you want to tell us about when you first heard about this movie? Um, I was actually embarrassingly late to the Chocolate City game. I heard about it a couple weeks ago when a friend tagged me in one of their genius Instagram videos um, at Chocolate City on Instagram, if you want to go look. (laughs) And there's just like this little video of Tyson Beckford dancing on set, um, and it was the most magical thing I've ever seen. And then I became obsessed with seeing this movie. Uh I harassed the producer for like four days straight, constant emails, like, when can I see it? When can I see it? And I actually ended up watching it in a coffee shop with the director, Um, (laughs) Sitting right next to you. Sitting right next to me, watching me just like gasp every time I saw an ab, which was 95% of the movie. So I think that director, according to Wikipedia, that is Maverick director Jean-Claude Lemaire. Yes. Tell us about him. Uh, He was actually a very sweet guy. He said he wanted to make this movie because he thought Magic Mike wasn't enough fun, which I kind of agree with. It was pretty depressing between all those dance sequences. And he wanted a movie where women could just go and have a lot of fun and stare at some hot black guys because that wasn't what you got out of Magic Mike. So I'm down for that. Allison, you gave it a really, really glowing review. I did. I tried to write a real review, but my brain was, was like melted like the chocolate, um, after <laughs> seeing it. So all I could do was just write the, like, the noises that I made while sitting next to the director watching it, which is a lot of like, <laughs> damn, Tyson, you know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's a male director. It's a male director, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And just to he be clear, this the plot is exactly, right, Magic Mike. No. It's, it's a little different. In Magic Mike, the young upstart stripper who kind of, Uh, took the throne from Channing Tatum's character, Mike. And he was dealing with like, oh, I'm sick of being a male stripper. I want to make this weird industrial furniture and and then kind of quit the the game. This is about uh, a young guy who's like so many in financial hardship and has no other option but to strip. So he goes to an amateur night and finds that he can make bags of money. And he's hiding it from his mother and from his sweet church girlfriend. His mother literally thumps a Bible several times. (laughs) There's one scene where you see her bedroom and she has no fewer than six crosses hanging on the wall next to her face. And she's asleep holding the Bible. Holding the Bible. My sort of metaphor is that Magic Mike was sort of the male coyote ugly. It essentially was a buddy comedy Except with stripping, much the way that like Coyote Ugly was sort of like, oh, us gals dancing and singing. 
This would be the showgirls version yeah. it is graphic. of men in that it is lewd, it's graphic. There's a plot where the sort of like big king of the strip club, Tyson Beckford, Tyson Beckford yeah. as soon as the young upstart gets on that stage, he was born to like ripple his abs and gyrate. He's just like spraying water all over himself. The women are throwing the fakest looking money I've ever seen. It's like... O-N-E-1. Like, it doesn't even look like American dollars. It's hysterical. The women are all holding huge amounts of money. There's one scene when he has to get a crate out to get all his money into it. (laughs) So much money. We're always like, where are the female billionaires? They were all All in this strip club. (laughs) They're all in Chocolate City. All of their money being thrown everywhere. No, but the reason the showgirls metaphor holds is, I think, because Tyson Beckford becomes violently trying to undermine this guy. And then all of a sudden I realized that's what Magic Mike was missing. Every time, you know, we see the female version, they're going to be like catty female competitiveness. What we got was catty men in this, which I greatly appreciate. There's a violent subplot. They're attacking each other, jumping each other. They're going to kill each other over who gets to take their clothes off for women. It's really the dancing that you guys were... That's oh, what yes. I responded to mostly. <laughs> well, it's like Maybe 95. some of them like the church subplot, but I was <laughs> entranced by the dancing. <laughs> I believe the line you used, Allison, was the choreography in Dancing in Chocolate City makes Magic Mike look like toddlers tap dancing. Yeah, which I guess is kind of um, creepy to say, but it's true <laughs> in retrospect. But it's true. I Accurate. mean, first of all, I love that the big showstopper for Magic Mike was Channing Tatum doing this dance to Pony. That was supposed to right. be the moment where you're like, oh, damn, Channing Tatum, so sexy. They actually had genuine in Chocolate City, himself. himself dancing to Pony, which was... And I have to say, he might have even been better at dancing to that song than Magic I mean, Mike. It is, that's his heart song. It so, is his heart song, but yeah. like he was good. They it was were all, They were all so, so good at the, the they were, writhing and the body rolls. They were 8,000 like times hot. more ripped. Within the first... <laughs> I mean, it opens up, and the first like two lines are the sort of MC saying like, ladies, you're making me feel a little vulnerable. Ladies, I'm going to make you wet. And the rest of it is just this <laughs> Fulfilling that promise. They yeah. really did fulfill that promise. I mean, it's like there's, you within like two minutes, you see bare ass. Bare like, ass. You see um, simulated cunnilingus, which was really shocking to me. A thousand times. All the time. Is that a stripper boob? I didn't know that. It was it's, really intense. The way they dance, they could actually give someone an orgasm from what they're doing <laughs> on that show. Or, like, get them pregnant. It was really very <laughs> aggressive. Yeah, so it's, like, the level of, like, rippling abs and just, like, slow pans over Tyson Beckford's slowly flexing ass muscles. Yeah. Sorry, I lost my train of thought you with that one. You guys are Well, when I spoke to um, the director, Jean-Claude, he said, like, I'm just trying to sell women's fantasies. And I was like, I think you've done a pretty decent job of that. Tell us more about him, though, or about the experience of watching it with him. I have to say it was a little awkward. He was a very nice guy. But like watching that movie in a coffee shop on a big laptop with the director sitting next to you is just like a little like you can't really be free. I (laughs) I would love to be watching it with my friends tonight in a movie theater where I've smuggled in some like mini bottles of alcohol and just go really crazy. But we had to have like a real conversation about what I'd seen and I just wanted to Did you have headphones on or did you I did have headphones, yeah. Was he watching with you or was he watching you watch the movie? He was kind of watching me watch the movie and then at some point uh, it was too loud and he said, oh you can, there's a separate place you can go watch by yourself and I was like, thank God. So I went to this balcony in the coffee shop but then there was a crowd of people at every table around me 
And again, watching me. You had drawn the crowd. They were I, all gathered behind you. Everyone. <laughs> I could feel a lot of people leaning in, but everyone was pretending to work. Maureen, you kind of had a weird experience watching it too, though, right? Well, I saw it at 2 p.m. in Times Square today um, in a weekday. I can only imagine what the crowd would be like if it had been a time when somebody could smuggle in alcohol. Right. The first thing that surprised me was about half the audience was guys by themselves. And I kept looking around to be like, are they liking this? Are they? What's happening? Yeah, were they liking it? Um, well, I think they were sort of laughing along when everyone else laughed. And when it got really sexual, you know, it's a lot of like hot damn, oh my God, but then like laughter too. If you had to pit Magic Mike against Chocolate City in the battle of great stripper movies... Who would you? Well, the amazing thing to me about that is that they, the marketers actually did pit them against each other. Like Magic Mike Two is about to come out, and whoever made Chocolate City was not intimidated. They were like, "Oh no, no!" They were like, "We are going to get our audience, whatever we are up against." And one of the the first two, so the first line is, "I feel vulnerable," which is like kind of a. Amazingly to see this super jacked, huge man saying to do a camera. Right. Second but, is going to make you wet. Number three is, y'all heard of Magic Mike? We're going to put some chocolate on it. I mean, they were pretty much setting up the dichotomy immediately. <laughs> I think that they're, I imagine that their marketing plan was really to sort of jump off Magic Mike. You know, they're sort of grabbing onto that zeitgeist. Right. Oh, it worked. I mean, also really check out the Instagram account. Their marketing, though probably not as noticed, is way better than Magic Mike's. I'm just like super pro Chocolate City. I am completely, utterly pro Chocolate City as well in that it is infinitely campier, vastly smaller budget, yes. you know, much less glossy. But I mean, it is raunchy so and they're fun. able to just go completely just wild with the level of campiness and ridiculousness, probably because, you know, they aren't necessarily going for as much of a mainstream audience. Right. But uh, let's. I hope you guys make it a blockbuster and go see it immediately. I gave it uh, what two hands holding sweaty dollars up. That's what. Yes. I that's the most yeah, that you that's can. That's the most I, I can do. Yeah. I know. If I had a third hand, I would do it too. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking about Chocolate City, uh, which you can read about more in Allison's review on the cut. Now let's move on to our second topic: junk touching. There's been a running gag this season on Veep, in which the gawky White House staffer Jonah gets repeatedly molested, sort of, as a joke, maybe, sort of not as a joke, by a higher-up played by Pat Oswalt. And before we start talking about this in more depth, I just wanted to ask you both, is this gag funny to you guys? Kind of, yeah. It's sort of not funny to me. (laughs) I laugh at everything on V, but that's funny, Well, they're all so funny that it is funny, although part of the, when you're watching that, is sort of the, like, laughter and then, like, oh, God, should I be laughing at that, which is also the plot there, that Jonah's sort of like, I no, we're just broing down. What, am I a victim? And then he freaks out because it turns out the only other people being sexually harassed by this guy were all women who look just like him. And then he really holds it for a while, Pat Oswald. Well, like... they use it to successfully outmaneuver another politician by saying, we're going to start a sex scandal because your staffer is a sexual harasser. He grabs balls. Right. I guess it is. You're right. It is a form of sexual harassment that I'm laughing so heartily at. (laughs) Inappropriate. But that's just the first data point. Maureen, you pointed out that Harry Styles this week actually did the same thing at the Billboard Music Awards. Um, Harry Styles was one of One Direction's two Billboard Music Awards. As he's going, he steps past him um, to go get to the aisle to walk up to go collect their award. And he just quick uh, crotch taps his bandmate there. Uh, the moment, you know, captured on Vine and passed around and sort of infinitely discussed. Of course, One Direction is sort of famously comfortable with being ambiguous or very touchy with one another. You know, they're all boys that were buddies way back when. They sort of court a little bit the the rumors of homoeroticism. You mentioned earlier the One Direction documentary. There's a lot of touching and like, yeah. there's a theory about this out well, there. What's sort of interesting about them is that in some ways I think it must be generational that they sort of don't 
seem to mind the rumors at all. Right. They openly sort of joke about being in love with each other. Um, They're super, like, touchy and huggy in a way that I think just sort of speaks to sort of just the freeness and silliness of how young they are. So is that what the ball touch is then in general? (laughs) That's like a, like a, hey, how's it A sweet, you're my friend. Uh, A pat of endearment? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) David, maybe you can give us a little bit of sort of the straight man look at this. What is the nut tab? I remember seeing a guy sort of like flick another guy's testicles and be like, what was that? And he's like, well, he's a little bitch. And I was like, so is that a display of dominance? Or is it a display of affection? Well, I think that there are a couple different moves. So I'm most familiar with the backhand flip. Which is what Harry did. Yeah. (laughs) Not the cup from Veep. It's like the backhand flip. And I think that really what that's about is that it makes the dude like shuffle back in this completely humiliating way to like get away from the hand. It's like... So horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of a like made you flinch, made you look... Yeah, also always done by someone who has not grown up since, like, the age of 13. Right. You know? Um, and, like, maybe, like, really wishes he were in the locker room still, like, not. Yeah. yeah well, when I like. said the dude that flicked balls, you know, one of my ex-boyfriends clearly had not grown up since age 13. <laughs> still in the locker room. Those are the men I date. <laughs> but it really is this incredible animal reflex that it's, like, as though you're being punched really hard, even if you're not, that you're, you like. You see it coming. Yeah. yeah. So not, like, a friendly butt pat. Then. So is it, then, a display of dominance? Would you say that that's a dominant move to like backhand flip someone's nuts? <laughs> no. I mean, to make somebody else cringe would be to sort of like I guess tease so. them. Yeah. Isn't it strange the balls are like the punchline of the penis somehow? <laughs> that they're always the joke? How does the nut tap compare to the locker room butt slap? I, I'm not sure that I've. <laughs> did you ever play football, David? I did not. I played some other sports. Uh, you're from New York. York. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've definitely had coaches slap me on the butt. I've never had a coach slap me in the balls. <laughs> I think I've only had, uh, I've only had, <laughs> what's going on over there? How do they make you feel, David? <laughs> only had coaches slap okay. me in the butt. Okay. Only <laughs> had friends flick me in the balls. Okay, got so it. So I had sort of a whole different, you know, sort of It's a different taxonomy. Yeah. Okay. But the ball flick makes you uncomfortable. It does, not... yeah. Okay. Like, what do you do when someone does that to you? Are you like... Squeal? <laughs> So, yeah. So it emasculates you in some way. Oh, totally. Oh, so you've got, I feel you emasculated know? just thinking about it. Yeah. I'm also super sensitive about my balls, which is what I wanted to talk to you also about, which is like uh, the weird, the weird ball moment that we're in in our culture. We are in a bit of a ball renaissance. Are we? It's, it's, Why? It seems amazing to me that like balls are now as big a part of a blowjob as the dick is. Were but they not before? I feel like in my training, I was always told to not neglect. The balls. You know what it is, though? I think it's that there's this complex of, like, Cosmo and every other women's magazine has to offer you advice about blowjobs and sex every single month. And so you just end up hearing that all the time, don't neglect the balls. Because you're like, <laughs> right. what else will I put on this listicle about things to do while giving a blowjob? Right. Who on the planet has actually done the put an ice cube in the corner of your mouth while you give a blowjob trick? And yet every woman, if you say it, they're like, oh, yeah, ice cube trick. I've read that in every single women's magazine every single month. Right. It's just indoctrinated. So it's like we sort of have this, like, indoctrination of, like, don't forget the balls. And maybe maybe <laughs> this is where the this ball moment is coming from, David. But you're you saying that you actually, you don't the, you don't want to neglect the balls, right? That's your, I, I don't think you yeah. should. No, I, I don't. That's my MO. I once was chastised for doing so, really? actually. Yes. You know what? My, my level of interaction with balls is based 100% on how gross or elegant a man's balls are. They're all kind of gross, right? They're just like funny know. looking. You're right. They're a bit of a punchline of the dick. They're just they are the punchline of the dick. Sad. But, you know, even in, in pop culture, there's been a lot of, I guess we're like a marked 
how do you pronounce his last name? Duplass? Duplass? Duplass. Duplass, yeah. He um, started like the balls out renaissance because he had a scene in togetherness where his balls were out. And so now like we're seeing balls everywhere on TV and really? in films. Yeah. Where else? Okay. On the show Outlander, there was a moment where a man took out his penis and it was full on balls and penis. No one's shying away from focusing on a man's testicles these days. And they're not that fun to look at. And Mark Duplass even said that, that no one wants to see them. But that's kind of why he's doing it. <laughs> Will you explain the what the his testicle moment was? It was a sex encounter with his wife gone wrong. So it was pretty comical where she was trying to bring some Fifty Shades of Grey magic into the bedroom and ended up just really hurting his balls. So did you- a flick too far. Do you see the balls <laughs> and the dick? Or what you mean that they talk about it or do they show it? They, the entire gag is about, they show it and the entire gag is about his balls. I mean, you can't see balls without seeing dick, so you see yeah. his dick too. So we're having a cultural ball moment, I suppose, reflected in the bedroom too. Before we finish, I just wanted to mention my favorite ball moment, like in my experience of culture anyway, which was discovering photos of Reggie Love, who became uh, Barack Obama's body man. Right. right. Getting teabagged. What? <laughs> Are you good? Do you guys not? You no, know? I was not aware of this. No, who I... teabagged him? Can we pull these photos up no, right now? So in like 2000, I knew who he was. He was like a scrub on the Duke basketball team. This was like right. in 2002, 2003. I only knew who he was because a friend of mine had like, was dating a girl that he had dated or something. So I had like sort of, but he, um, on all of these sports message boards at the time, he had gotten drunk at a frat party and like passed out. Ah. And I think it was a UNC frat party and like everybody came over and teabagged him. Yep. All and at then, once. I'm looking at the photos right now. Can and, I see? Yeah. And, Allison, describe to us what you're seeing. <laughs> I mean, I can't see a ton. I see, I see balls. That's what I see. I create see a visual <laughs> portrait for our listeners. <laughs> um, if you look closely, Maureen, you can kind of see a man's testicles coming at a sleeping lump that is supposed to be Reggie Love. But then at oh, some gross. point they sort okay. of like sw- they like swiped the whole, you know they cleaned the whole internet of them. Like I think that the NSA actually like intervened. <laughs> Had to step in and help out. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, FYI, are the searchers right? are Reggie Love teabag, and it looks like it's on Gawker.com. Uh, Should thank anybody you, be, thank you, would Gawker. be curious to see? <laughs> Here they are. So we've been talking about junk touching and balls and teabagging. Now let's move on to our last topic, which is sellyourpanties.com. It's not exactly news that people sell worn women's underwear online. I guess in Japan, you can even buy them at vending machines. But a new bunch of data from British clearinghouse SellMyPanties.com came out this week in a story on Vice and actually sheds kind of a lot of new light on the business, who's doing it and for what reason. 60% of the buyers are under 40, 92% are men, not so surprising, but 8% are women. A third of the buyers are married, most are regular customers. 31% masturbate with them. 30% only smell them, 13% wear them, 12% just put them in a drawer, 8% lick them, 5% just look at them, and uh, 1% wash them and wear them. So I guess they're just buying it as a clothing store. I know. Do they know it could be a little cheaper if they just bought it? Go to Target or something? Maureen, I know this story fascinated you, especially what was what was intriguing. I was surprised, first of all, that only 31% masturbate with them. I would have assumed that everybody buying used panties was going to be wanting to totally. jack off with them, right? So what a complex thing sexuality is. And there was almost this like romanticness to the way some of it was described. She interviewed many of these men who um, are big purchasers from sellyourpanties.com. You know, they pay about $30 a pop to get somebody's used panties. The women make little profiles for themselves. Some of them do little webcam shows. And a lot of them, there's something a little bit romantic, that they want to talk with this woman maybe after three or four times camming with her and chatting with her then she mails them the panties and it's almost like a consummation of this sort of virtual relationship they've had in some way 
the other thing that surprised me is when you go to this website, you click specialties, and it's all manners of sort of just like detritus that you can buy that have sort of an element of the woman's body, but not her entire body. There's a woman that says, I'll smoke cigarettes and send you the butts. What color lipstick do you want me to use while I'm doing this? Woman sends her, you know, used toothbrush, ranging to much, much pervier things like a woman who offered to send her used bath water or perhaps to make a lollipop from her various bodily fluids. Not to get too high-minded for a second, but, you know, our whole idea of romantic love like comes from the model of like Christ that's like where the Christian church the medieval church and this is like totally devotional dedication to objects right um, I mean it's really by definition romantic I guess so yeah what I was wanted to ask was whether um, the customers tend to have a single girl that they go to all the time if they're buying panties from her once a week or twice a week, or do they, like, rotate among the girls on the site? So in, in the Vice article, she interviewed some women who do say they have sort of long-standing relationships with these people. Some of them do other forms of sex work other than selling their panties because they don't actually make that much money from it. They aren't selling a huge quantity of panties. Um, so if you think, you know, you have to, like, mail the panties and communicate with the guy and you end up making $30, that's not a huge amount of money. Although they also make money sometimes because they can do webcam shows they can sell other things too so i think it's more sort of a frill on the edge of these sort of genres of sex work that the internet enables where there isn't literal sex sexless or sexy to somebody but not literal sex form of sex work yeah which is sort of really interesting to me of the people she interviewed a few of them are people who don't do any any sex work other than that if you consider mailing your panties to someone sex work it's sexual to someone not necessarily sexual to the woman sending yeah. it and some of them were people that are, say, like, works as a dominatrix, and then this is some uh, service she does for some of her clients, and then she thought, well, maybe I can pick up some new clients by going on this sort of panty clearinghouse website. Porn stars also do that a lot, right? Send exactly. these panties out to their fans or assign them at uh, exactly. like porn conventions. So it seems to be, if you're right, a part of kind of the devotional worship of one person, which is right. not as creepy as I originally thought. You might have changed my mind on this one. Yeah, it was sort of odd that all of a sudden I thought in the pantheon of dirty things you can do on the internet actually just like saying can I have a used garment that I'm not even going to masturbate with I just want to put it in a drawer as 12% of the people say they do I just want to have it all of a sudden seemed weirdly chaste. It's like a woman dropping her handkerchief like before a jousting match. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Of the 21st century. Right, it's the jousting match hanky. Or what about the 5% j- just look at them? I mean, I understand smelling, licking. Right. I understand wearing even, you know, like that's all. I understand how that works. But what are you doing if you're just looking at it? You're not even getting the thing that has been <laughs> the tactile imbued element. into the... I guess you don't feel even like qualified to... To, to approach it. Yeah. That's all you want to do. I mean, it's really a collector's mentality. Yeah. Just, that's I true. just want to have it. I'm going to look put at it, it and then I'm going to put it in a door. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it for Sex Lives. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Henry Malofsky, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. For Allison Davis and Maureen O'Connor, I'm David Wallace Wells. We'll talk to you next time and thanks for listening.